So we're starting a new uh, series this morning, a new sermon series that I've been really excited about for a while called The Elephant in the Room. And so uh, the, the whole premise of this series is this idea that uh, we live in a really, really complicated world. Has anybody else noticed how complicated our world is? Um, and, and I can't remember, I mean, has, has like, I, I, I don't know, maybe it's just because I'm getting older and more cynical, uh, and I also can't see, uh, but <laughs> I, I, it seems like um, our country ha- just becomes more and more divided every single year. Like, I just don't remember it you know, being this divided in generations past. Um, and, and I know that there are always kind of hot, every generation has its kind of hot button issues and that sort of thing. Uh, but, but it is a very, very divided nation that we live in today. So for the next several weeks, we're going to uh, deal with several kind of elephants in the rooms that unfortunately, I think the church has made the mistake of not speaking into. Now, for some of you, you're going to get really uncomfortable with some of these things that we're going to talk about because you would rather the church not talk about controversial things. You would rather just be told Jesus loves you so you can feel good about yourself and leave and go home and, and you know, flip on the ball game or, or whatever else. And, and, and so what, what the next few weeks I hope does for you is challenges your thinking a little bit. And I'm going to tell you up front, you're probably not going to agree with everything I, I say. I'm going to do my very best to, to uh, present everything that we present in this st- series, not from the standpoint of Jeff's opinion, but from the standpoint of how does the Word of God speak into this particular issue, okay? And that, as, as a follower of Jesus Christ, that should be something that every single one of us are interested in. How does that, because this is the truth of the matter. The Word of God speaks into all the issues of our lives. The Word of God is as relevant today as it was the thousands of years ago that it was initially written. It speaks, it's living, it's active, it, 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 it rightly divides, it, it, um, it, it tells us how to live our lives and how to live lives that are uh, um, faithful to God. It tells us about the faithfulness of God. It is a, 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 a truly miraculous Book. In fact, I heard somebody recently say, and such a great point, that this book is not even really a book. It's actually a library. It's a collection of books. It, 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 you have in your hands right here a collection of books that span um, just, just centuries after centuries after centuries and is still just as relevant today to its hearers and its readers as it ever was. And so how does the Word of God speak into some of the issues that we face today? We're going to talk about a whole lot of different issues, and I'm not holding anything back. We're, going to, we're really going to uh, dive into some issues that are uncomfortable maybe for us to listen to, and we're going to dive into some issues that have become uncomfortable topics in our country today. And so the first one, I thought we'd start off slow, and we're just going to we're going to deal with the racist elephant this morning, okay? And uh, you know, super easy topic, no, no, you know, no, no real opinions there, right? And so, uh, so we're going to, you know, the first elephant in the room that we're going to deal with is the racist elephant. Now, I grew up in small town Oklahoma, and and so um, now I left my my you know my my white hood and cloak behind when I moved out here. Uh, so don't worry about that. Now, I, I joke about that, but the truth is that I, the town I grew up in, or, or one of the towns that I lived in as a young man, as a yeah, kind of late elementary, early junior high age, little bitty town in Oklahoma, about 300 people. And, uh, and at, right before we moved there, they took down a sign that basically told uh, black folks to keep on moving and don't stop. 
That's, that was the town that, that I grew up in for a few years anyway, for a few years. And I, you know, I heard those stories and I, I didn't really experience that, <coughs> excuse me, experience that while I lived there. Like I said, that was kind of before I had gotten there. Um, but that kind of uh, hateful mentality was something that was um, definitely prevalent in our country and especially, you know, more in the southern states and that sort of thing um, for, you know, s- several decades ago. Very, very prevalent. I remember ex- the first, you know, even though I grew up in Oklahoma, I didn't, I didn't feel like I experienced a lot of racism. Now, I, I, I can tell you that every Thanksgiving or Christmas or whatever, we would gather at my, you know, my grandparents' house. And I had an, I had an uncle. Everybody's got that shady uncle, you know. I had the shady uncle that every time he would open his mouth, you know, all, all the other, you know, all of his brothers would and their families and wives and kids would just kind of cringe. We never know what was going to come out of his mouth. And, and so my shady uncle would just, uh, after every turkey dinner, would just dive into uh, a, a massive, you know, collection of racist jokes. And he would just tell racist joke after racist joke after racist joke. I mean, nowadays there's a whole network, Comedy Central, that is basically built on racist jokes. And, uh, and so for, depending on where you are, it can be okay and it can't be okay. And when is it appropriate and when is it inappropriate? And, and there's all this kind of, you know, how do we deal with that? And, uh, but I remember the first time I, you know, other than just kind of in a joking around way, the first time I experienced racism actually on a church level was as a teenager, I believe I was 16 years old, and uh, traveling around with a group of other teenagers that would go from church to church, and we would uh, put on a presentation uh, for these churches. And, and uh, we got to one church in uh, southern rural Georgia. And that night, I stayed with uh, a family, a, a, a leader, kind of an elder in that church. Um, and just, you know, they were in the process of, of uh, they had just bought new land and were getting ready to build a new building on this new land. And I, and I was, ju- I remember just talking to him saying, that's great that your church is growing and God's blessing you. And, and, you know, you're going to have a new building and all that kind of stuff. And he said, yeah, our church really isn't growing. There's just too many black people moving into the neighborhood. And I can remember just sitting there in this man's living room, just dumbfounded at what I had just heard that a church the bride of Christ would make a, a massive decision based on who was moving into the neighborhood around the church. It blew me away. Just absolutely blew me away. I, 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 and maybe it's um, my own, you know, naive, naivete. Um, but I had, I, and maybe you felt the same thing, but I felt even 10, 15 years ago that our country was really making strides in the right direction in terms of racism, in terms of eliminating racism, us becoming a less prejudiced society. Um, and if there's anything that the last several years can tell us, uh, if you if you've watched the news at all, um, the truth is that was just not the case. That was just not the case. Whether you voted for Barack Obama as your president or not, that, that's not the point I'm going to make here. But I I think even if you campaigned against him as hard as you possibly could. There was a certain level of 
national pride when he first came into office that just, again, whether you liked the man or not, whether you agreed with what he stood for or not, to me there was a certain level of national pride when he came into office saying, I remember just feeling like I'm glad we have become a nation where this is possible. I felt good about that. Whether I felt good about the man who was elected or not, that's, that's a whole different matter. But I felt good about the fact that our nation had become a nation where this was possible. And then I feel like, I don't know, I don't know if it has anything to do with that election. I don't know if it has any, or, or what has stirred up all the hatefulness uh, in our nation over the last several years. But these stories that just rise to the top of your, you know, your Freddie Grays and your Michael Browns and your, uh, and, all, and all this kind of stuff. I mean, even, even something as simple this week, just uh, the hateful comments that I read online at the idea that we would... Uh, you know, put a black face on a $20 bill. Um, this is not an issue in our country that is solved by any stretch of the imagination. By any stretch of the imagination. And our town is not immune to this issue. I heard somebody once say that the most segregated hour in the entire nation is the Sunday morning worship hour. And that tends to be true. It tends to be true that uh, there's a lot of uh, division, and I don't know. I don't know how much of it is intentional or not. But there's a lot of division along racial lines when it comes to who we worship with. That tends to be the case. Now, just do me a favor for just a second. Do we just kind of glance uncomfortably around the room for just a second? We do that. Just glance uncomfortably around the room. Okay. Now, it doesn't take a social scientist to tell you that uh, our congregation this morning is, is a predominantly Caucasian um, uh, congregation. Now, we do have a good number of people from Hispanic descent uh, in our church. We have, we have uh, Asian descent in our church. We have African-American descent in our church. And, and, and as, as you look around, glance around this room to this mostly Caucasian crowd that we have here, we're considered, <laughs> we're considered a multi-ethnic congregation. Like I have actually had denominational leaders point out our church as an example and what are you guys doing that other churches aren't doing. And you look around and you see all of these white faces, and I, I, I'm fine with white faces, Bring a bunch of white faces and black faces and all kinds of other faces in here. That's great. But when we look at the, around this room and we see that a church like ours that is so predominantly Caucasian in its makeup is considered groundbreaking in terms of being multi-ethnic, while I would say that speaks to the openness of our congregation, I also say it's a sad commentary on the state of churches in this nation. It's a sad commentary. So, we're not going to solve racism this morning, okay? That's not going to happen. It's, it's just not possible to do in, you know, a matter of a few minutes. Uh, it's a bigger issue than we can solve in one day. But I do want us to look at what does the Word of God say about this issue? And what should our posture be towards people who are different than us? Um, and so, we're going to start off with the, in the book of Numbers. <clears throat> uh, that's in the Old Testament. If you want to flip back there. Um, it looks like uh, if you have one of the Bibles from the back, it starts about page 120. 120. So, 
Where we pick up this story is this is the children of Israel, the nation of Israel has been set free from uh, their Egyptian captors. And uh, they are heading back to the land that God had promised them. And so they're kind of wandering around in the desert and, and, and trying to follow God the best they can. But little things keep cropping up that are just kind of show how unhealthy that they, they are and how ungodlike that they are. And, and so this was one of these issues that, that, that cropped up. And, uh, and I, it speaks very directly into our topic this morning. So Numbers chapter 12. Numbers chapter 12. <clears throat> this is what we're going to look at. So starts off with this. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. Now, right off the bat, Miriam and Aaron are uh, um, relatives of Moses, and they're also co-leaders with Moses in this whole project of, of leading the nation to their promised land. Miriam and Aaron were married, and Miriam and Aaron are also, Aaron was a, a priest, and Miriam and Aaron together were also described as prophets, that God spoke through them occasionally and, and uh, gave a message to the people for, uh, through them. And Miriam and Aaron uh, decided to get a little uh, perturbed at Moses. And it says here, right in the Word of God, that it was because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. Now, the Cushite uh, people were basically the people from the, around the, the area that we now call Ethiopia. Okay? Uh, so kind of northern, uh, north, uh, I guess that would be northeastern Africa around that area there. And, uh, and so it's presumed that uh, this was basically an African woman that Moses had married. Uh, Moses, now we, we hear earlier on in this whole story that Moses had a wife named Zipporah. Um, and a lot of people speculate that this is not Zipporah that we're talking about, that Moses may have actually married somebody different um, down the road uh, and, and, um, and had uh, gained another wife. That's another whole other sermon. All right, so um, anyway, so, so anyway, but he, Moses marries this African woman, and, um, and it, bothered, it bothered Aaron and, Aaron and Miriam. It says, and they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. So this is what's going on here. I want to try to paint the picture so you can understand what, what's taking place and what their attitude is. Moses has married an African woman. Which, by the way, first of all, get this little idea out of your, your, your head that, um, that this is controversial because Moses was white and married an African woman. Nobody in the Bible was white. Nobody. Jesus wasn't white. Get that out of your head just already, okay? No, none of these people that we're talking about, all right? So, um, so, but again, somebody different, somebody from a different culture, that whole, that whole thing, all right? The Lord heard this. Now, they see that Moses had married this African woman, and that kind of sticks in their craw. It kind of bugs them a bit that he would do this, that he would marry outside of their own kind, outside of their own people. And it just, it just, it really bothers them. And then they begin to think, they begin to think about Moses and his prophetic role. They begin to think about themselves and their prophetic role. And so they begin because this one little issue, this one little issue of race and whether or not Moses should have married this woman, they begin to question Moses's authority. Like, who, who, who does he think he is? You know, he's not the only one that God speaks through. God speaks through us, too. 
They just, they just let it kind of get in there and roll around, and, and it turns into something that once was an annoyance, turns into something that, is, that turns into bitterness, it turns into jealousy, it turns into comparison, it turns into pride. It just kind of starts becoming ugly, and the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. That is a profound statement about a man right there. That Moses is called out here because of his meekness. I don't know if you know what meekness is. Jesus said that, you know, blessed are the meek. They're going to inherit the kingdom of God and, um, and what that whole idea of meekness is. Meekness is not weakness. A lot of times when we think of meekness, we think weakness. It's somebody who just kind of lays down and lets whatever happen happen and, and they never fight back. That is not meekness. That's weakness. Meekness, I think the best definition I've ever heard of meekness is this. It's strength under control. Strength under control. Somebody with a strong character, a strong personality, but doesn't always choose to exercise that strength. He controls it. He knows when to exercise it. He knows when to speak and when to listen. That's meekness. That's meekness. Moses, according to this scripture here, his meekness has made him stand out above all the people on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and Miriam, come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. Now, this is not, that's not a call you want from God. God's calling me to the tent of meeting. Um, that's not going to go well for somebody. All right. And the three of them came out. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both came forward. And he said this. He said, hear my words. Listen to this. This is so great. If there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. So this is what happens. God looks at Aaron and Miriam and Moses. Moses, this, you know, he's, he's, he's probably heard rumors that Aaron and Miriam are talking to him. It's, you know, things get around, and, and, uh, and he's sitting there. God is speaking to them. And, he, and God's word to Aaron and Miriam is this. Whenever I speak to the prophets, prophet, you know, prophets like you guys, whenever I speak to prophets, I do it in dreams and in visions. It's not always very clear, but that's just the way I, ch- I choose to speak through the prophets. But now Moses, when I talk to him, it's face to face. Nothing confusing about it. I speak to him directly. Who do you think you are to stand against God's man? Who do you think you are to stand against God's man? Now, as the story goes on, we're not going to read the, the rest of the story. As the story goes on, there's a punishment that is, is, is kind of dealt out to uh, Aaron and Miriam, um, and uh, in terms of a, a little bit of a sickness and that sort of thing. And then, uh, in fact, Moses pleads on their behalf. And he's, he's like, God, please don't do this, you know, have mercy on them. And Moses, again, strength under control. The, 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 I read this passage to say that this, this issue of racism, I think one of the things that this story teaches us, racism comes from a spirit of arrogance and division. Racism comes from a spirit of arrogance and a division. It's a spirit of I am somehow better than whoever, than them. 
I'm better than them. I am more capable than them. They have these hang-ups which, you know, which keep them from being effective members of our society or whatever. So I can somehow put myself in a position above them. They're not as bright as me. They're not as educated as me. They're not as well-versed as me. Whatever. Whoever them is. And it comes from that place of arrogance. And then it comes from this place of division where there's something inside of every single one of us. Every single, no matter what your race is, what your nationality, your background is, there's something in every single one of us that naturally wants to divide. That naturally wants to to put people into certain groups and surround ourselves with people that are like ourselves that that that, that comes that's no not one person in this room has completely risen above that not one and if you have convinced yourself that you have you are fooling yourself and you're in danger in my opinion this this proclivity towards division and racism is something that every single one of us has to actively fight for our whole lives. I'm not talking fight even on a social level. I'm talking on a personal level. You have to be, because it's like, it's, like it's like your yard. Uh, if I, I'm, I'm, I've been blessed by God. I don't have a yard. Uh, but if you have a yard, I've had yards in the past. And, and you, can, you can lay fresh sod in a yard and just get it green and beautiful and just, it's just, a glorious thing to be. I mean, your, your yard looks like a golf course, right? I mean, it's just great. And then if you don't continue to take care of that yard, what happens? What? Yeah. Weeds, it gets tall, it gets messy, it gets out of control. And it's the same thing in, in a lot of areas of our own life. You may feel like you have some victory or some success in certain areas of your life, but if you are not constantly about the business of weeding your life, things get out of control. And what, I when we live in a different house here in town, and, and I had my backyard all cleaned up, and it was just great, and I was so proud of it. And, uh, and then, uh, you know, a, a week or two later, there, I saw a couple of weeds, and I was like, I'm, I'm going to get to those. I'm going to get to those. And then about two months later, when I hadn't got to them, uh, my entire yard was just ate up with weeds. And it's the same thing that happens in our lives with a lot of these issues that will crop up in racism being one of them. If you do not actively weed these, these parts of your life out, they overgrow and you don't even realize that it's happening. You don't even, it, it just sneaks up on you. You don't even, like, how did that happen? I just, I just took care of that. I thought I had all that under control. I feel like that's what's happened to our nation in the last several years. We thought we had all this under control. You know, we lacked, elected an African-American president. I mean, we're in the glory days. And then, boom, we stopped tending the garden, didn't we? We stopped tending the garden. And it's absolutely out of control. Now, for those of you that, that will sit back and say, you know, this is not our issue. It's, a, it's, it's everybody. You're absolutely right. It's everybody. Racism is not, does not stem from one race. It's, it's common across all races. We all have to protect against it. But it comes from this place of arrogance and division. Look at what the New Testament says about, about this. Um, Acts chapter 10. We're going to flip over to Acts chapter 10. Uh, at, the, at this point in the church's history, uh, the whole, you know, gospel message of Jesus Christ being the Messiah and coming to save the world was pretty exclusive to the Jewish people. And in fact, Jews at that time, 
there were certain laws in place that kept them from too cl- having too close of a relationship with people that were outside of their own nationality. And so, you know, they could, they could maybe do business with them, but they would never share a meal around the table with anybody that was not also a Jew. And, uh, and so God, through his servant Peter, through the apostle Peter, uh, decides that he's going to open up the kingdom wide open to everybody. This was always a part of God's plan anyway. Now he's getting ready to open it up through Peter. And so Peter is called to the house of a, of a man of, of, uh, of Roman nationality. And this is what happens. Uh, Romans 10, or I'm sorry, Acts 10, chapter, uh, verse 28. And Peter said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Like God, through a vision that he gave Peter, revealed to him that that there was no such thing as an unclean people, that all were accepted, all were welcome to the table, all were welcome to the family of God. And so here he is sharing a meal with these people, doing something that was kind of a social taboo at that point in time. And he's like, God has showed me that this is a good thing. And then on further down uh, in that passage, starting with verse 34, he says, "So, So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Anyone who fears... So, again, it's not... In, in, God, in the terms of, of God and how he sees everything and everybody, it's not about... We talked about this a few weeks ago. It's not about nation. It's not about race. It's about faith. Galatians 3 sums it up perfectly, starting with verse 26. It says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. And the point that this whole, all, all these passages I've just read brings out is, the, is this, that God doesn't see many different races. He just sees one family. In God's eyes, we're not divided along racial lines. We're either in the family or we're not in the family. And the only way to get in the family, it has nothing to do with your race, has nothing to do with the color of your skin, has nothing to do with who your parents were. It is only to do with your faith. And if you believe in Jesus Christ and you believe that he died for your sins and that he rose again three days later, welcome to the family. That's it. That's the only criteria. And shame on us. Shame on us as, as followers of Jesus Christ if we put standards on acceptance into God's family that go beyond that. Shame on us. We need to be an open, welcoming people. First John Chapter 2, we start with verse 9. John says this. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And what John's saying here is if, if we're all truly a part of one family then you've got brothers and sisters of all different shapes and sizes and ethnicities and backgrounds. You've got brothers and sisters on every corner of this planet. You've got brothers and sisters that are much different from you. And if you say 
you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you've got a beef against brothers or sisters in Christ because of how different that they are than you, then the light's not in you. You're fooling yourself. Because that, that, that has no part in the gospel of Jesus Christ. No part at all. No part in the gospel of Jesus Christ. James puts it this way. James chapter 2. He says this. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you may sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, and this is that royal law, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. We are called to be a people who rise above this. And I know this is speaking to kind of an economic difference or whatever, but the principle still applies to what we're talking about this morning. And by the way, a lot of times the, the, the racism stems from socioeconomic places, not just skin color issues. But if we become a people who will show certain people uh, that are, you know, either because of the color of their skin or because of their status in our society, in our town, in our nation, whatever, show special treatment to some that we wouldn't give to others. And in fact, kind of shun some because they are maybe not good enough. Paul, get this, Paul, Peter, who had just been, uh, had this vision that the gospel was open to everybody, Right. Later on, he's together with Paul. He goes out to, to see some of the church work that Paul's doing. And Paul's whole ministry was mostly to people outside of the Jewish faith. It was to the, to the Greek society, that sort of thing. And, and so Peter goes to visit Paul in his work. And what he does is he's like, he's like seeing what God is doing. God's opened up this gospel to everybody. They're having meals. They're having great times together. They're growing. He's, he's getting to know new brothers and sisters in Christ that he didn't know he had. And Paul is showing him all this work that he's done. And then, then some of the Jewish brothers come in to also check out what's going on. And Peter gets nervous and he stops. He pulls back and he stops eating with these new brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And Paul, I love Paul, Paul calls him out on it. He was like, he's like, you dirty dog. That's, that's like the new Jeff version. But he's like, he's like, you dirty dog. You were just sharing table meals with these people last night. And today you, you keep yourself on the opposite side of the room. I mean, he just got in his face about it and rightly so. And can I tell you, when you see a brother or sister in Christ behave in a way that is exclusionary, especially in terms of the gospel. But I'm going to say exclusionary just in terms of the general principles of love. As James said, that, that golden rule there, right? Then it's our moral responsibility 
for the sake of the name and reputation of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the name and reputation of his bride, the church, it's our moral responsibility to occasionally stand up to our brothers and sisters because you're wrong for that. You're wrong for that. I want to put this last point up on the screen. It's just this. Living hopers will help all people rediscover the dignity that God has bestowed to them as his image bearers. Living hopers, our church, we will help all people rediscover the dignity that they inherently have by being nature of the fact by the nature of the fact that they are image bearers of God. That sounds like a I don't know about you guys, but that sounds like a new core value for us. That sounds like a new core value for us. I want us to be a church that help people understand the value that they have in Jesus Christ. I want us to be a church that will take people who have been discarded, people who have been um, humiliated in their life because of whatever reason, whether it's race or social status or whatever else, people who have been minimized their entire life, people who have been subject to uh, um, ridiculous accusations just because of the way that they look. I want us to be a church. We will be a church that says, no, today you've just met Living Hope Church and we serve a God who sees all the value in you that you never even knew you had. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of church I want to be a part of. In fact, I want to be a part of that kind of church so much that I don't mind uninviting a few of you that disagree with this. Like, it, it, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. You can have all kinds of political discussions about race in this country and how it's handled. And, and maybe, you know, some people are, you know, not sensitive enough. And some people are way too sensitive and whatever. Let the pundits handle those conversations. This is what I know. As for me and my house, we'll not only serve the Lord, but we will open up that relationship with him to every person. And we will welcome every person into this body of believers. None will be excluded. None. And we will show them the value that they have in Jesus Christ. And we will not limit their exposure to ish other, other things like, like how they can serve or what leadership they can you know, attain to or whatever. We will know that we are all one in Jesus Christ. This entire world is made up of potential brothers and sisters. And we need to welcome as many of men as we can. And shame on us when we don't do it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. And um, I thank you so much that, um, that your word and your grace is as generous as it is. I thank you so much. Because here's the, here's the truth. At one point, pretty much everybody in this room was excluded um, from, what, from the work that you were doing. And praise God, you opened it up to us. Praise God, you opened it up to us. And so who are we not to open it up to others? God, would you just help us to weed out any areas of uh, racism that might be in our own lives? And, and I'll, I'll stand here 
and, and freely admit God. Um, I'll stand here and freely admit that I have work to do in my own life. That I want to be more enlightened in this area. I want to be more obedient to you in this area. And yet even I notice occasional weeds that crop up that, that need tending to. And so God, help me as a work in progress. And I pray that you would do that for all of us in this room. All of us. Um, God, I lift up our nation to you and ask that you would heal this nation. Um, We have come a long way from where we were, but we do still have a long ways to go. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just speak into our lives so clearly when we cross bounds that shouldn't be crossed, when our conversation goes in directions that it shouldn't go, when our jokes go in directions that they shouldn't go. I pray that your Holy Spirit would just be clear and convicting, that you would keep us close to you, that you would help us to see everyone around us the way that you see us all, not as not through our differences, God, but as members of the same family. And so help us to love our brothers and sisters better than we do. We love you. We give you all the praise and all the glory. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God is good. Amen. Amen. So here's the deal. Before I let you go, next week, come back next week. Next week is the sexy elephant. All right? We got the sexy elephant next week. And so we're going to be, we're going to deal with some issues around, um, around God's design for sex. We're going to deal with some issues around sexuality. It's a big topic. This is what I promise you for those of you who are parents in the room. Uh, we have classes for up to fourth grade and nothing that we talk about in this room will be inappropriate for fifth grade and above. Okay. I, I make that promise to you. Uh, but if you got fourth grade and down, get them in the class because uh, the sexy elephant's coming out of the circus next week. All right. All right. See you next week.